Are you ready? It's that time! Good morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time you decide that you're going to delve into the chaos that is Man Buns and Jesus. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Laborious, and over there, with still a faint glow of heavenly glory, is Ben Oschlager, my co-host, who has our topic for the day. What 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 is that, Ben? Well, Josh, uh, my heavenly glow is provided by the fact that I'm home today, sitting in front of my living room window. Uh, Waiting to see if I need to join my wife in COVID quarantine. But uh, our, our topic today is uh, related to something that came up a couple weeks ago in worship. Uh, I selected the hymn uh, number 666 from our hymnal from the Lutheran service book, the LCMS's hymnal, uh, which is entitled, Oh Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe. Uh, an incredibly appropriate title for a hymn number 666. Um, and uh, got a good little laugh out of it when I was introducing it. Um, and it makes me think about the symbolism that we use as Christians, uh, whether it be numerology or imagery. Uh, a lot of the things that we see in scripture that are confusing and hard for us to understand and relate to, especially some of the cultural things. Um, and a prime example of how this pops up in life, um, when I moved to Michigan a year ago, I received a, a license plate from, here it's the Secretary of State's office, not the DMV, but uh, from the SOS. And the uh, license plate is ELL9666. So if you take that nine, throw it on the front, make it an H, hell triple six um so if you if you were like already mildly convinced that i was the antichrist maybe that's your sign but um i i looked at it and laughed a little bit the clear candidate to me because like i'm a pastor and that's kind of a funny license plate for a pastor to have um but it, i think it also gives me an opportunity to say Hey, look, I'm not afraid of the fact that my license plate is ELL9666. I pray all the time in that car. And like, it, it doesn't affect me or impact my faith in any way. But that's, that's me. There are other people for whom like that kind of symbolism uh, or imagery that's related to stuff in scripture can be... Uh, a challenge for them to process and relate to. And so today, Josh and I wanted to talk a little bit about symbolism uh, in, the, in the Bible and how we should approach it as Christians. Um, a little bit on how it's used in scripture for, from a uh, textual interpretation kind of perspective. But then also more so just like, how should we as Christians approach using it? And where does an appropriate use of Christian imagery border on 
superstition. Um, so, Josh, we're going to dive in. Uh, first and foremost, uh, do you think my license plate makes me the Antichrist? Uh, probably not. Um, okay, good. <laughs> I guess I, uh, I don't want to say for sure, but you know what? I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, I mean, we're Lutherans, so we already decided that it's the Pope, but... Uh... Apparently. <laughs> um, so, no, I think, I think you're right. And when, when superstitions come up, the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is... That you're not superstitious, just a little stitious? No. <laughs> I'm not an office fan. You got and and I just lost half of our audience right there. But yeah, I'm not an office fan. Um, no, it, there was an old. I think it was a Bud Light commercial where it would showcase a fan of of like a football team. It was it was during the NFL season, and the fan would do just some weird that like wear their socks inside out on their hands. And I mean, and because it was a Bud Light commercial, it almost always also included like they drank a Bud Light a certain way or something. And then the commercial would end by saying it's only weird if it doesn't work. Talking about these superstitions that people have and mm -hmm. and I know like I know a lot of people who have these superstitions I I. Uh, a couple of friends of ours, when they're watching hockey and a certain, I think it's like when their team is up or maybe, I forget the specifics of the superstition, but when, when certain criteria are met, one of them has to go into their kitchen and watch on like the dinky little TV they have in their kitchen. Because I think it's, they're Kings fans and one of the major like historic games, the Kings came, their playoff game where they came back from like six or seven down and, and they came back and they won. That's what, that's what had happened. One of them was like in the kitchen watching on the little TV or something. So that's, that's the kind of stuff I think of when I think superstition. And I think a lot of that does carry into our practice of religion, our practice of Christianity specifically. And I think, I mean, part of it probably comes from the same thing that with this King's tradition they have. At some point, uh, it worked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you prayed for something and you prayed a certain way or you prayed in a certain place and God answered your prayer how you wanted him to. And your brain makes the association, oh, it must be that place. It must, and it's like, eh, it's probably not. Like uh, in, in the research world, they say there's a big difference between correlation and causation. Just because two things happen at the same time doesn't mean one caused the other. So you're but, telling me if I was praying in Pig Latin that. Uh, my softball team, which is horrendous, by the way, uh, would actually win a game, and we actually won said game. That I should put no stock in the fact that I happened to pray in Pig Latin. Uh, actually, I think that might be an exception. I think you should always <laughs> pray. Um, 
Is that disrespectful? Is that irreverent? I let us know Bring what you think. I, yeah. Um, but all of this, all of this is building up to say, I don't think that most of these superstitions. First of all, I don't think they do anything. But that includes, I don't think there's a ton of harm to them. Right? So it, with the sports analogy, okay, um, if there have been instances where we, my wife and I were big Atlanta United fans. If, if you're watching the video, you'll notice framed behind me is a Joseph Martinez jersey. Yes, that is a signature on it. I, that's why it's framed. Um, I got that signature in person too. I didn't buy a signed jersey. I, anyway, so we had a super. It, there were there were instances in St. Louis where we would be playing like garbage. The team was down. Nothing was going right. And I'd go into. I'd get frustrated. I'd go into the kitchen to get like a snack or to to start on dinner or something. And Atlanta would score. And it kind of developed, it, it was a joke, but kind of in, in the vein of superstition that if we really needed a goal, I would go into the, I would find an excuse to go into the kitchen. Um, that superstition was not helping Atlanta United score. <laughs> Me walking into the kitchen has no impact on whether or not Joseph Martinez puts one in the back of the net. It really, it really doesn't. Okay. Um, but at the same time, it was a fun, it was a fun little thing that, that Chris and I did and it wasn't hurting anything. Like if anything, it was helping cause I was getting some exercise by actually moving around. Um, <laughs> so, and I think the same applies to a lot of superstitions people have, um, like people who make the sign of the cross a certain way when they pray, or they go to a certain place to pray or they read their Bible in a certain, in a certain space or whatever. None of those, I think is, I mean, it's, it's not, God's not listening to your prayers anymore. If you pray in one room of your house as compared to the other. I think we maybe need to back up for a second here. Cause I think what you're describing right now is just ritual, not even superstition. Oh, well. Like, or, where's we're the not, line? Where, where's the line between ritual and superstition? Um, I mean, ritual is what helps you get into either the mindset or uh, helps encourage the healthy habits of faith formation, right? Like, if right. you wake up in the morning and your morning ritual includes, um, for you, I know it includes rolling over, doing a few minutes of Duolingo and doing your devotions, or at least it did for a while. Um, I don't know how well you've kept up with the Duolingo. Um, no, my wife and I finally ponied up and I bought Rosetta Stone. Okay. Which is, side note, if any of you out there are interested in learning the language, Rosetta Stone is a lot better than Duolingo. If you actually want to learn the language. We are not sponsored by Rosetta Stone. Yet. But they have my stamp of approval. <laughs> if you're with Rosetta Stone, worth. hit us up. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, like if it, if it is something that you are doing as part of your religious practice that gets you in a frame of mindset where it helps you concentrate on prayer or reminds you of the gifts of God or um, encourages you uh, and assures you of your faith, 
Like those things are great. Those things are ritual. We have no. Well, and see, here's the thing. I think I I was saying it almost as a joke earlier, but I think the line between ritual and superstition can get a little murky. Um, and I because I think you're right. I think there's a lot of value to some of these things, but I think at least kind of in in my head where I'm drawing the line is the superstition. You believe it it changes something more than just your mindset is where you I would draw you, the line. It you think you're helping something outside of yourself. Right. So like if if my so my routine now is I wake up, I drink my pre-workout, and I go downstairs to work out. And then in between sets, I do my Bible readings, I do some prayers. Um and that's fine because it's a routine the the time between sets is is kind of a very peaceful time for me when i go there aren't a lot of people in the gym so i'm i'm by myself i'm i'm in the zone and i can just i can get into into the bible um so nothing that ritual there's nothing wrong with that i think when it becomes a superstition is when i start saying I have to, the only place I can pray is in the gym of my apartment complex. Mm -hmm. The only way I can do my readings is if it's in between sets. Mm -hmm. Because I have some sort of belief that God listens to me more or my prayers have more power there. The only thing that has more power in the gym are my muscles. Um, or that somehow the Bible I'd, readings I'd argue are more that your impactful. muscles are weaker after you've been to the gym, at least in the immediate aftermath until your body has a chance to heal up from Maybe, the fact that you... Uh, but me being in the gym also coincides with me having pre-workout in my system. So probably the hour after me drinking that's, pre-workout okay, that's fair. is when my muscles are strongest every day. <laughs> anyway, so or that, at least and, you have the most adrenaline pushing you through the pain <laughs> adrenaline caffeine beta alanine creatine the good stuff none of those oh. are steroids by the way for any of you karens out there steroids are steroids creatine is not and that is a pejorative use of the word karen we love all that is i care yeah my if my aunt karen listens to this i don't think she does aunt karen's a delightful person same with my aunt karen yeah it's yeah actually Um, i think everyone i've ever met named karen is is not a karen it's just a delightful person but yeah it's unfortunate that that's the name that they chose anyway um but no i see i see your argument and i think i was getting a little bit on a tangent there um but I think that's maybe where the line is. The superstition is you doing something a certain way, believing that it has more impact. And I think where that kind of mm-hmm. intersects, especially with your license plate story, is believing that images and numbers and whatever have more power than they do. Or even just have an inherent power. Right. Like with the number 666. Okay, where that comes from is it's identified as the, I mean, the essentially the, the devil's number, the mark of the beast in Revelation, which first of all, there, cause I've, 
I've been through the Revelation commentary a couple times because I've taught Bible classes on it. And, and there's not really a clear understanding of what that means. The best kind of, or one of the most, I guess, convincing guesses for me is that was the number of the Roman Emperor Nero. And so that was kind of prophetic of all the damage he would do to the church. For those of you who don't know, the, the Roman Emperor Nero, like, burned churches, hunted Christians, like, arguably one of the most pronounced and effective enemies of Christianity in history. But I think it's important to clarify that in Revelation 666 is an identifier. The number is not somehow powerful. It's it's an identifier, right? So say I have a name tag and my name tag says Josh on it. Okay. The name tag is identifying me as Josh, but if I if I package that name tag up, mail it over to Ben, and he puts it on, it doesn't make him Josh. He's just wearing someone else's name tag. So in the same, like Ben has a six 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 on the back of his car, right? That's not identifying him as a servant of Satan. I mean, the worst I think you could give is that he has the wrong name tag. Um, but it's a randomly assigned license plate, so I wouldn't even go that far. But, and I think we do that with, with a fair number of things. Like, you gotta recognize that most things don't inherently have power. Mm -hmm. Batteries do, but not, not in the way that a lot of, anyway. I, no. I, I'm reminded of a lot of the discussions in the New Testament about idols, mm -hmm. like um, when 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 Paul, yeah, Paul is writing about food sacrificed to idols. Essentially, where it comes down on one side is it's no different than regular food because idols have no power. Mm -hmm. Right? He's saying even if they're shaped like gods, even if they're worshipped like gods, they're just stone and metal and wood and and whatever they have no power i mean and then on the flip side he says but for those who are weak in faith who don't really get that you should still like be careful around this stuff um, yeah so that's kind of what i think of with a lot of symbols is they don't have power they're just created things in in the overwhelming number of cases. Um, I mean, but, but can... it's still worth thinking about that. It can like, you should be conscious of the people who are seeing you, right? Like, it, like if I was start to walk around with a shirt that had a big old pentagram on it, like that would cause some problems, not because the, the shirt and the pentagram had any, had any power necessarily, but it's not a good look for a pastor, a Christian pastor to walk around wearing a pentagram like you it just you shouldn't do it it doesn't matter if it doesn't have any power you shouldn't do it i feel like this is where i butt in and say i have a shirt that has a broken pentagram on it of course you uh, do. so full disclosure yeah it's a metalhead thing yes it is um Weirdo. the the band o sleeper fronted by a christian guy uh they're like uh 
I don't know, uh, hand gesture that kind of denotes you as a fan of the band is you take the, the devil uh, ASL sign, and you, you lop the top off the horns. Um, it's like, so the line is Jesus ripped the horns off the devil. And they do the same thing with the pentagram where they rip the top two uh, spars off the pentagram. It's hard to, to do. I need to work on my, like, my yeah. joint mobility and my thing. You're, I never you're... thought I need that. <laughs> so, yeah, you rip the hit horns off the belt. So, if you ever see me walking around in a shirt with the top two points off the pentagram, note that is a, a symbolism of Jesus' victory over uh, Satan, uh, not any sort of affiliation that I have with the, the Lord of Darkness. Um, <laughs> figured I'd throw that in there. Um, but I think we're pretty well in agreement, like a, like you, you were kind of saying on the, the like physical ritual, like I'm going to get up and do this thing because it puts me in the right mindset. Versus I'm going to get up and do this thing because it's going to ensure that my faith is strengthened kind of thing. Um, and as I'm looking at symbolism, I think you're also right that like we need to look at those as markers or name tags or uh, reminders. Or reminders, of, yeah. Yeah, instead of something that inherently holds its own power. Um, and a couple of examples that come to mind for me within popular Christianity of ways that that's done poorly or even abused and becomes quasi idolatrous. Um, I know it's popular within Christianity to have, you know, like a cross either on your keychains or hanging from your rear view mirror or something in your car. Um, and for some people, they have the impression that that gives some sort of like special protection, uh, over their, their vehicle. Um, uh, or like, I mean, this is a more Catholic specific thing, but like the, the carrying around of a statue of one of the saints, um, or, I mean, there are all sorts of people who will get, you know, Bible verses tattooed, um, forgetting the reference off the top of my head. Sorry, I'm a little tired this morning, but I can do all things through God who gives me strength. Um, which is not the context of that passage at all. Yeah. Um, the, the most flagrantly misquoted passage on the seminary campus because of the fact that we have intramurals uh, is that passage. <laughs> There's nothing better to yell while hooking up a hopeless three-point shot. Um, but I think, like we need to be conscious in the way that we use these symbols, like you said, to make sure that we aren't assigning sort of power to them, um, but that we are leaning on them as reminders or uh, markers of our faith. Um, Which for me brings to mind, there are, there are certain groups and, and churches within Christianity who, um, their like their sanctuaries are very unadorned mm -hmm. like they they don't want a cross in there they don't have they don't have any sort of symbolism 
Um, and I guess that, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but the fear or the concern is that that is worship of a graven image. I mean, that's a large part of, we're going to talk a little church history here, but that's a lot of, a lot of the division between the Orthodox church and the Catholic church. It was over the, the icons, right? These beautiful, uh, created images of, uh, saints and of Christ and of the Trinity and, and the heavenly realms and these kinds of things. And like the Catholics looked at it and went, you guys are just worshiping those that's idolatry. And then the, the Orthodox looked at the Catholics and went, you literally pray to saints. And then they got into a fight and never uh, came back together again. It's been almost 2000 years since then, um, but <laughs> like, well, there, and this is nothing new. This is not a new debate or, or issue. And I the think it's, I think it's a fair thing to watch out for. Mm -hmm. Right. If, especially if you, you know, if you are conscious that that is a struggle people face, then by all means get rid of the symbols like if i if i you know pastored edgewater if i got wind that a bunch of people in the congregation were were more concerned about praying to the cross than they were praying to god praying to mm -hmm. praying to christ you better believe that that cross would not make it out of our storage trailer for for a few weeks at least mm -hmm. And so I could, and then I would, I mean, actually, probably before I remove the cross, there would be some education that would need to happen. Um, this is a hypothetical. I, to yeah. my knowledge, no one at Edgewater is struggling with this. But if, if that was the case at a congregation, I think it's totally reasonable to say we're going to remove this because it's, it's leading people to do things and to think about things in a way that they shouldn't be. Um, but on the flip side... I think symbols can be a, a phenomenal reminder of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Like the cross kind of very evidently, it, it reminds us of the core of our faith. You know, why do we do any of this? It's because Jesus died and he rose again. And that's why I'm a big fan of the empty cross. Mm -hmm. Like with Jesus not on it because it, it serves the dual purpose of remembering what he did, but also remembering that he rose, that he's not, that he didn't stay dead. So, um, and I and think that can be the case with a lot of symbols, right? People who have yeah. tattoos of verses that are meaningful to them, it can be really helpful to, for, you know, you're, you're struggling, you're going through a tough, tough time and you look at your wrist mm -hmm. and it reminds you of whatever Psalm. Um, Joseph Martinez, the, the guy whose Jersey I have behind me, um, Someone might want to fact check me on this, but I believe he has the Lord's Prayer tattooed on his bicep in its entirety, uh, which is is pretty cool. Um, but having well, these things well. as uh, having these things as reminders, symbols are, have a lot of value in that way. Mm -hmm. um, like, and this is something I'll tell people in classes: like, write something on a note card and put it on your bathroom mirror. You've just made a symbol mm -hmm. to remind you every time you brush your teeth, every time you're washing your hands, 
um, anytime you're looking in that bathroom mirror, you you have this reminder of whatever the note card is is getting you to remember. Uh, the same thing with with jewelry, with a cross, with whatever. Um, not to mention it it serves as a name tag, right? You, you use the example of people think having the cross hanging from their um, rear view mirror might protect them. And my immediate thought was, it probably doesn't protect them, but it might give them priority if they, you know, they get in an accident and someone sees that and they, and they feel positively about it. Or like, like I, I got in an accident right before we left St. Louis and the, the lady who rear-ended me, she, she ended up, she was really sweet. Um, and it came, I think I had a seminary sticker or something on my car and it came out like I was going to be a pastor in a couple months. And we had a really nice conversation, a really civil conversation. And we like, I mean, before we left, I, after we, we exchanged insurance, right? The cop came and he wrote his, he wrote the little report, whatever. But before we both left, we prayed together. And it's, it's because I had that little symbol that she recognized and she said, oh, we're, we have this, this thing in common and we had, we have that faith thing. So I think symbols are, are an incredible thing. You just, you gotta be careful that they don't become more than they should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that being like, I know there are pastors who have walls of crosses um it's like i i don't it's a, a fashion thing or like a decor thing is they just they have a wall full of crosses in our entire house i think there is a, there is one cross on the wall and it's uh i think we might have two i think no i think we have a cross and then we have a couple bible verses on like painted on, on, on something and put up on the wall. But, and, and that cross, it only went up a couple months ago. Uh, it's a stained glass cross I got when I was on Vicarage. Uh, someone gifted it to me and I built a frame and, and a whole thing around it. Um, that's, that's the only cross in the house. And I, at least I don't think it makes me any less, uh, any less holy, any less equipped to do my job. <laughs> Guess I haven't tried putting an entire wall of crosses up to see if that makes any difference, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm in I'm in the same boat. It's it's about what you're going to use those symbols for. We we also only have one cross hanging in our house, and it's actually not even hanging yet. We need to get it hung. Um, but it's the cross that my dad made for my wife and I's wedding. Uh, which we ended up having in her parents' backyard at the height of COVID. Uh, yeah, nice little Rona wedding. Uh, but it's it's a really simple, just white painted wooden cross, and like it holds a lot of of memories for us. Like it, it reminds us of a lot of memories, and reminds us of like this bond that we've formed together through marriage. And a marriage that we want to be based and founded on our faith. Um, and so, like, 
to us, that's a really cool reminder of both of our both our faith and our commitment to one another as, as a married couple. So I think that's a good use of a symbol. But uh, yeah, anyway, so we've talked through symbols now. We've talked kind of the difference between symbols and uh, in their good use or bad use and same thing with kind of ritual and and uh, superstition. Um, but then let's talk a little bit as we look at some of these symbols and rituals and other things in scripture. Uh, and as we read about them, how do we approach the use of these images? Because um, you see some pretty like jarring things in, especially in the prophetic books in the, the end times uh, literature in the Bible, uh, whether that be like Daniel or Revelation, or I think one of the other prophets has a fair amount. Um, but you get these like images of a lamb with seven thrones and his throat is slit and like, or seven thorns, or uh, horns. Man, sorry. Uh, a lamb with seven horns and its throat is slit. And it's like, and you picture does he have all seven going forward or is it like a darth maul kind of thing yeah 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 um or like uh as as the angelic realm is being described um those wings aren't covering its face uh those extra wings that's uh that's for modesty so uh <laughs> like how do you depict that and then like all of a sudden these these like depictions of incredibly unimaginable things like a uh, a lamb made holy and yet slain uh, they're just impossible for us to really wrap our minds around like well um uh, And I think that's part of why sometimes like we have such an issue with how we approach symbolism. Um, so Josh, if you were to just give our listeners and I'll, I'll back you up after, after you're done here, but I'll put you on the spot a little bit, like your tip or two tips or three tips for like, what are these symbols useful for and how should we read them? What would you say? Okay. I want to lay some groundwork here. Okay. Because this is a little bit of That's a soapbox of mine. That's fine. We got we got to got to lay a foundation. Start um, pouring some concrete. The first is, I there are people who who take say every single word of the Bible is a hundred percent literal and deny that there's any symbolism or anything. And my response to that, frankly, is have you ever actually read the Bible? <laughs> because Jesus in his ministry, time and time again, uses parables and then tells the disciples, I was using this as metaphorical language. <laughs> and in the Old Testament, God comes out a bunch and he says, here's the symbol. And then his prophet turns around and like he sends a king a dream or something. And then the prophet turns around and says, this is what that symbolizes. 
And in both of both of those instances with prophets and with Jesus and, and his disciples, there's also an acknowledgement that not all of the symbolism is going to be explicitly explained. Mm-hmm. So, so that tells us a couple things that tells us that there is symbolism in the Bible and that not all of it is going to have a direct explanation. And I think kind of a, a third thing we can take out of it is a you need the humility to understand that there are symbols in the Bible that we are not going to understand fully. And there's going to be stuff in, in the Bible that we can't even honestly say if it's a symbol or if it's kind of a literal thing. So mm-hmm. um, what, what I would say, and this is kind of getting closer to your question. If, if you're looking at symbols and you're trying to decide, you know, where do we take this? How do we take this? How are we looking at it? The first is, don't be too creative. <laughs> okay, I, I, we had a, well, I you don't get points for creativity here. I had a, prof- I think it was Gibbs. I think yeah. Dr. Gibbs at the seminary. He said, or it might have been Shookard. Or it was one of the exegetical profs I had first year. So it was either Gibbs or Shookard. Um, but they said something to the effect of, if you haven't, if you're looking at the Bible and you're interpreting something and you have an idea that no one has ever had before, you're probably wrong <laughs> because you are not the smartest person who has ever looked at this text. You are not the most, you, you don't have the most expertise of anyone who has looked at this text. So if you look at the church fathers, if you look at commentators, and if you look at like professors and experts in the field, and they all say one thing about the text and you say something else, you're probably the one who's in the wrong, right? Correct. Um, so that's the first thing. When you're looking at symbolism, don't be too creative. And and the second is, you know, all those resources that, that I just listed, if you're really curious about symbol, symbols, check them out. Uh, church fathers were were a lot closer to the the cultural realities that that existed when the Bible was written. So their interpretations should, I think, do and should carry a lot of weight because they were much closer to the original to to being able to understand what the what the original intent was. Um, and the second, look at these experts because like. Uh, I, I mentioned the Revelation commentary earlier. Uh, Lou Brighton wrote that thing, and he's a lot smarter than I am. He's a lot smarter than Ben is, and he's you know, he's probably a lot smarter than you are, whoever's listening to this. With especially in understanding Revelation, right? There are very mm-hmm. few people in the world who have the same kind of expertise he does. He has researched thoroughly what was the culture that John was immersed in. What is the culture he was writing to? What are mm-hmm. the popular symbols of that time period? Mm-hmm. Like uh, one of the one of the biggest images I think that comes out of Revelation is this this dragon that that represents Satan, and he has ten horns and he has seven heads and seven heads. Ten head, I Sounds forget. right. Sounds right. I think ten it's horns, seven. seven um, and then there's this woman. This this. Uh, the horror of Babylon, you can the say. The horror of Babylon. 
Um, <laughs> well, I was trying to remember. I think the some some translations use like the word courtesan or something. When I'm teaching it, I just call her a hoe. <laughs> I don't know if I should have said that, but it's it is what it is, and I don't edit these podcasts. So, um, and if you read Brighton, he's like, there's a ton of symbolism here. At the first of all, we we all read throughout Revelation. There's crowns. There's crowns mm-hmm. of victories. There's crowns on good people. There's crowns on bad people, and we all think crown is royalty. No, that's not how the Romans or the Greeks would have understood it at all. A crown was given to victors in games and and victors and other. I mean, yeah, the, the Caesar or whatever might have worn one. But if someone had a, was given a crown, it wasn't necessarily a, a signal of royalty at all. It was a st- signal of strength and a victory. So it's like if you were reading that, if you're reading that now, you're like, oh, a crown is is royalty. And and it's not and like the horns that we're talking about horns are symbols of power and authority and 10 is a number that's symbolic historically you know of of earthly power and and so like there's a lot of symbolism there and understanding it as best we can involves going to the going to the culture and the people that wrote it and it was written to and saying what did this communicate? What did this mean to them? What's the symbolism here? What did Babylon mean to John and to the Israelites and, and to God's people historically? So I th- if I'm going to give you two tips for looking at symbols in the Bible, the one is don't get too creative. And the other is rely on, on people who have studied it a lot more than you have. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you're a, if you're a younger person, if you're a high schooler and you're like, man, I really want to be that expert, by all means, go for it. Uh, go and get your, if I had to recommend a route to ultimately be a commentary level expert, uh, go get your undergraduate degree in probably biblical languages, uh, maybe in anthropology. May, uh, may, I mean, if you really want to go for it, double major in biblical languages and anthropology. Um, get that, uh, go to, go probably to the seminary, um, or to a, a, a Bible college might also do just fine and, and get your, your master's in, in theology or, and then go and study for your PhD in biblical history in whatever small field you want to study. That's your path. So buckle up for like 12 to 20 more years of school after high school. But you can and, be that expert if you're if you're like 50 and you want to become this expert, you can still do it. But you got to got you, you need some time and money to burn. Um, but those are my two like rely on the experts yeah. and don't be too creative. Those are my those are my symbol tips. Cool. What do you got Ben? I think my my uh, advice is just know where you are in scripture. Um, like. The way that Jesus speaks symbolically is different than the way that like Isaiah speaks symbolically or Revelation speaks symbolically um, or, you know, Pharaoh's dream appears symbolically in, uh, in, in Exodus. Um, and so like one of my favorite examples of uh, scripture not being straightforward is when 
Jesus, I believe at the end of Luke's gospel, um, tells his disciples, sell everything you have or sell your cloak, uh, go buy swords uh, because you're going to need them. And a handful of them go, we already got some. Jesus goes, all right, never mind, we're good. And like his whole point there was not like, I need you guys to be defended or protected in the future, but it was, I need to know that even the people who have been closest to me are living yet still in their sin and imperfection and inability to rely wholly on God's provision and protection. And at that point, I know that my fate as savior of the world is sealed. Like, I need to go die for you because even as I live among you and protect you and provide for you in the midst of all of your daily life, you still find it necessary to carry around a sword for your protection. And like, he never really addresses that, but that's where he's going with that. And if you just read that passage as is, or another one, I have not to come, come to bring peace, but a sword. Like, if you read those passages straightforward, you get a very different image of Christianity than the image that Christ is trying to portray. Yeah, because something, it's verbal something irony. Comes, something that comes to mind when you're talking through that is this idea of let scripture interpret scripture. Yeah, right? absolutely. Don't don't take verses or books or chapters out of the larger text. Right, mm -hmm. everything scripture is read through the filter of itself. Yeah. So like one, know where you're at, know the kind of discourse that you're getting into uh, or the kind of writing that you're getting into. Um, I echo Josh's uh, thought of find people who are smarter than you to help you understand the things that you're reading into. Um, and especially would say like, do a little research ahead of time. Um, you can find yourself a few different sources to help like, get you geared up for diving into some of these more symbolically heavy books uh, like the prophets, like the eschatological stuff, um, even like a lot of the parables and the gospels. Um, it's good to go in prepared for those so that you're not coming out of it and uh, getting the wrong impression from Jesus' teaching. Um, so I, I think... think I mean, I, I think I just, just, that's my big thing. Well, I want to throw out some resources in line with that. Um, if you're looking and you, and you want to get a little bit into, I, I need some sort of background explanation. Um, get yourself a, a Lutheran study Bible. CPH sells them. You can get a, uh, I prefer the paperback ones just because I, my Bible goes with me almost everywhere and carrying a big old hard hardback book would not be convenient for me. Uh, and you can get a you can get a paperback copy of the Lutheran Study Bible for something like 30 bucks. And uh, but what that does is is if you've never looked at a study Bible before, you have the Bible reading on top of the page, and then underneath it you have a bunch of a bunch of notes. And it's it helps understand what's going on in the passage. It, it helps explain it a little bit. And mm -hmm. I say the Lutheran Study Bible for a reason, because especially when you're talking about all these symbols and signs and and 
stuff that we're talking about, there's some really weird and wrong stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Right. And I am all for using resources from, from other denominations, from other church bodies. I think a lot of them are really good, but this is one area where I say like theology really directly impacts this. So get a get a Lutheran study Bible because the the theology is is good and it is clear and it is faithful. Uh, and, and if Whoa. you say, well, I want I want more than that, I want to really dive in. Um, if it's your first dive into something, I again I would encourage get yourself a Concordia commentary. They're expensive. You're probably going to pay fifty, sixty dollars per book. You don't even have to go for the blue books. Uh, there are lay commentaries, also produced by CPH, that are. CPH uh, stands for Concordia Publishing House. In case anyone was, they have a website. Shipping isn't free, but you know, oh well. But the the lay commentaries are far cheaper. They're far more accessible in terms of their content material. And they do enough to give you the kind of background that you're oftentimes looking for to help you understand yeah. the text. So uh, if, if I were to say in or, you have the study Bible, you have the lay commentaries, you have the blue commentaries. And I think after probably after the lay commentaries, if at that point, if you want to look around for other commentaries that aren't necessarily Lutheran, you've been grounded in, in kind of a good understanding. So you can look at those under other commentaries and say, this part sounds a little off. This part is like you can you can better filter out what is a good interpretation and what is maybe off base. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how I would go about looking at the. And, I mean, and your pastor is typically a pretty good resource, right? This is mm -hmm. this is what we went to school for. Um, mm -hmm. And then. A couple other good resources that aren't necessarily Lutheran, and I know Josh just said get a Lutheran study Bible, um, but I will say this: the uh, the CPH study Bible, while really really good theologically, oftentimes um, will leave some material unnecessarily vague. Um, Faith Life, which is another organization that Josh and I trust for the most part, has its own study Bible that oh, I think we're is really all good. on Faith Life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's a non-denominational evangelical organization, but their study Bible um, primarily focuses on just giving a little bit more cultural insight and explaining yes. some of the symbols and does, a, uh, as far as I've seen, like I use it sometimes to help prepare for Bible study and stuff because it's a concise way to describe things that sometimes our commentaries go three, four paragraphs into. Uh, Faith Life's also free is a big... You can get the Faith Life Study Bible for free. The only kind of asterisk I would put on that is because Faith Life is a very biblically grounded organization. Mm -hmm. The only asterisk I would put on it is the very heavily symbolic books. You're going to get some weird stuff. Yeah. So there's stuff in yeah. Revelation might be a little a little weird. There's stuff in Daniel might be a little weird, but yeah most of their other stuff you're probably fine with yeah and even there it's generally fine it's like if they start taking it to the point of like i don't think i've seen this yet but if they start assigning symbols to mean certain things um don't take that as gospel truth because even like our best guesses are just that yeah um, 
And then another, you know, evangelical resource that I think is pretty good, uh, the Bible Project. It's a YouTube channel. They have outlines of books. Uh, not everything is perfect. And if you ever find yourself going, ah, it doesn't sound quite right, bring it up it and might, ask the pastor. Yeah. It might be wrong. But they do a good job of helping you put books in context. Again, biblically founded. Uh, you know, they look at the they look at scripture as uh, the inerrant and uh, inspired word of God. So they're they're looking at it from a, a very um, similar perspective to what we do. Not quite the same, but um, that's just from a theological, like a slight theological difference. Uh, but they will give you a pretty good background on where you're going with different texts. So, so, so far today, we have we have given shout outs to <laughs> Rosetta Stone, uh, Concordia Publishing House, House, Faith Life, and the Bible Project. So, uh, any, any of, of those companies, go ahead and us. give us free stuff. We'd love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a Rick and Morty episode where there, it's like a cutaway kind of thing. And Rick is going nuts about he's buying free, he's buying Nintendo Switches. It's like there's this deal. We can get our Nintendo Switches. We can get these rebates, and we can and we can sell them. And we can they're they're collectible. They're limited edition Zelda ones, and we can sell them. And and we'll make all this money. But then we'll each all keep a Switch that we can play. And then he turns to like I mean turns to the camera. He's an animated character. Breaks the fourth wall. And he's like Nintendo, give me free stuff. <laughs> so. Rosetta Stone, CPH, Faith Life, Bible Project. <laughs> Give us free stuff. <laughs> Don't feel like you have to. Uh, yeah, we, we, we really do stand by all those products. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say at least no to the extent free. that they are generally sure? useful for your, your edification. Uh, Josh, let's move into some takeaways. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's about that time. Yeah, it is. Um, so I think if you don't mind me going first, I think my big takeaway for today is just like, if you see symbolism in the world that is troubling to you, know that it does not carry, does not carry an inherent power. Um, like, you do not need to be afraid of somebody wearing a pentagram on their chest as somebody that is certainly possessed. They might be, you never know for reasons of like occult worship or something but like the symbol itself does not carry any power it is god alone who has the ultimate power and authority and as long as that remains central in our thoughts and and in our understanding of our faith in these symbols like it will never alter our eternal trajectory Yeah. Well, and I think kind of in line with that, um, supportive of that, is with all of the stuff we talked about today, don't, don't approach it in isolation. Mm-hmm. Don't say, I'm going to do this on my own. Like, this is why God gives us the church. This is why God gives us community, right? When you're thinking through this stuff, Talk about it with your small group, with your pastor, with your the people you pray with, the people you are in the word with. Like talk about them with it and with an openness to if like if you're if you need correction that they're gonna correct you on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, 
so that would kind of be my takeaway is whenever you're considering symbols or rituals or superstitions or whatever make sure you're considering it with your with your brothers and sisters in christ around you because mm -hmm. they're they're going to help you keep help keep you where you need to be um, so that's yeah. some prayer ideas uh for today um pray for clarity in in your mind and also uh pray for peace when you come across things that you can't get your head around um, because some of the things about god we're just not going to understand until we meet him face to face and you know what there might even be some things that we don't understand when we get there um, because it's not our place to understand everything about god um, so pray for pray for understanding and pray for peace when that understanding doesn't come and uh pray pray for maybe i guess forgiveness if you need it from any situation where you've given created things more power than than they should have so um, with that check it be sure to check us out here are our shameless plugs for the day check us out on your podcasting platform go ahead and give us a follow um if i mean if you listen to us all the time you may as well follow us because you're accomplishing the same thing and it gives us a little bit of positive feedback which is which is appreciated right it's like it's nice to know that we're not just spinning our wheels here um we have a facebook page care much less about it but it's the facebook page is a really good place if you ever want to suggest a topic we we take the suggestion seriously and if you're sitting there and you've suggested a topic and you think they haven't talked about my topic yet a lot of the topics that we're holding on to that we haven't done yet is because we're waiting for a specific guest host to do them and we haven't gotten that scheduling down yet um and the facebook page is also a good place if you want to be on the show i don't care who you are we're we're open and excited to have you on the show um and talk about pretty much anything you want to talk about unless it's a topic that we've already done and you don't have something significantly new to talk about because that would just get repetitive so um, those are all of our shameless plugs if you need a pastor in uh in riverside county in the eastvale area check us out at edgewaterlutheran.org. And if you need a pastor in Lake Orion, Michigan or surrounding areas, go ahead and check. I don't know what your website is, but Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Check out our Facebook page. Our website's under construction. Check out well, their Facebook page. Faith Life, uh, the company we mentioned earlier, does great with church websites too. But that is neither here nor there. <laughs> with that, brothers and sisters, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.